All right, this is Dark Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chig. How's it going, Chig? Going all right, Mike. You know, all things considered. How's stuff with you? Ah, uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been pretty quiet. Actually, you know what, Chig? I I feel as though a uh, a light really uh really went out in my life because it was only oh a month ago that I actually saw you in person in a little place we like to call Washington D.C. Indeed, we uh, we met up, we had lunch, we hung out. It was super fun. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. We even recorded an episode, which is going to appear after this episode, because uh, unfortunately the uh, audio quality wasn't like spectacular. Uh, I was fiddling with my glasses and could hear that and that, that kind of stuff. So, didn't really want to release it as a uh, a full episode. But I think uh, I think it has quite the story to it that uh, the listeners will need to hear. So stick around after the credits of this show to get an extra twenty minute bonus app. A Darkling, as it were. Oh my gosh, the Darklings are back. But for today's episode, we're actually going to be covering a, a book that's interested both of us for a long time, but neither of us read, which is DC by Night, quite thematic with the, the uh, place we were recently in. Um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, talking about that. But Chig, before we go on to the main topic of the episode, we're of course going to do our news, but could we also get a game update, Chig? Uh, what kind of gaming have you been doing lately? Well, my uh, my regular weekly tabletop group uh, recently wrapped up a, a cyberpunk red chronicle that we've been running over the uh, summer. Um, right now, we're not really sure who's running what next. Uh, there's been talk of a City of Mist campaign mm-hmm. and uh, maybe a Masks campaign, which I would like to run because kind of got superheroes on the brain. Um, but yeah, we're... Uh, we're not really sure what we're going to be doing next. Nice, nice. Um, I mean, masks would be pretty good. Uh, is there? There's a quick start for Avatar, isn't there? That could be a pretty fun thing to do, which is also pretty masks related. Uh, there is a quick start. Uh, I think you have to back the the Kickstarter to get the quick starter, as it were. <laughs> uh, but I could be wrong on that on that count. Um, but uh, yeah, my. Uh, my my gaming group. Uh, I don't know that any of them has ever watched Avatar, so might uh, might not really be appealing to them. Mm, okay. Well, I mean, maybe it's something you can uh, fix in the future. And you know what, Jake? I think that kind of uh, leads us really nicely into our news. So why don't we just hop on over to that? Yeah, let's. All right, Chig. So uh, we're just talking about the uh, the Avatar Legends Kickstarter, which has OMG exploded, taken the world by storm. What's it up to now? Like six million, seven million, twenty million? Right now, it's raised just a hair over seven million dollars. <gasps> um, it has, uh, I think, nine days left on its uh, Kickstarter. Uh, at the time of recording, so when this goes up on Friday, it'll have I think six days left. Uh, I've backed it. If you're listening, somehow whether you meant to or not, you've backed it. Random strangers on the street have backed it. Um, it looks like a it's going to be a real fun game, breaking all sorts of Kickstarter records. And uh, you know, to tie this into our earlier conversation, it's basically masks with a different setting, which is a, a strong selling point where I'm coming from. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, masks isn't that well known uh, in the RPG community. I mean, there's a lot of people that know Magpie, and they 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 respect him, they like him, but uh, it's it's masks didn't sell for for seven million, as as far as I'm aware. So I think a lot of things that are uh, that Avatar has going for it are not just the fact that you know it's like a media tie-in that sort of thing. That definitely helps, but I think the approach of giving people a property that they like that's also a very simple but very effective system mixed in with a uh the kind of source book aspect to it um which is i know a lot of people are really excited about because it has all of these different settings in the avatar cartoon universe that you can explore many of which really aren't covered that much in the show so it gives people an even more expansive way to interact with that uh that property in that setting which uh i think is pretty epic you know, you're you're absolutely right. I hadn't given much thought to it, but um, I read a, a little statistic once. I don't know how accurate it is, but uh, something like half of the people who purchased the Sailor Moon RPG back when that was a going concern never actually played it. They just got it as, you know, a, a source book for the mm. setting material. Yeah, because those uh, Big Eyes Small Mouth games had the... Um, there were a fan guide and an RPG, like half and half so if you just were into the anime you'd buy it for all of the like interesting insider information to the sailor moon universe exactly yeah good stuff good stuff and in addition to avatar another thing that's uh kind of caught our eye is that black chantry studios just let us know that there's going to be new decks coming out for vampire the eternal struggle uh for those that don't know uh, black chantry got the license for that and they put out quite a few you know, bonus sets, but also a newer, more updated uh, fifth edition. It doesn't change the rules at all, but it does have like updated card frames, updated art, updated clan symbols. And with the four new decks that are coming out, we've got, you know, the standards, got your Bruja, you got your Gangrel, but also now we have Banu Hakim and the Ministry. So that's interesting because we've had, you know, just a name change from the previous Asamite and followers of Set. But also, it seems as though uh, they're going to be changing things based off of the new Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition amalgams. So, Qu- uh, Quetus and Serpentis might not be disciplines anymore in uh, newer versions of, uh, or newer expansions of Vampire the Troll Struggle, which uh, should be pretty interesting. I'm curious how that's going to affect gameplay. You're, you're much bigger into uh, V-Test than I am, but... Uh... If they just, you know, use the amalgam powers, then what's stopping, you know, Johnny Ventru, who has the right discipline spread from using what used to be Serpentis or Aquietus? Yeah, and uh, Chick, I'm going to let you in on a little something I've uh, I've heard uh, as a kerfuffle in the VTest community, which is, what are they going to do about Oblivion? Because Oblivion now is both the old Optenebration and the old Necromancy brought together but the uh, discipline symbol that they use is obtenebration uh in the uh, chicago by night book so and that's that's the same symbol that they use in v-test so there's some confusion about like so what's going to happen to the old necromancy cards oh right because because it's all uh symbol based right correct yeah so are all that's the hakata right. going to uh now have shadow tentacles as well as a zombie army i don't know it's going to be uh, an interesting balance that they, uh, they're going to have to deal with. 
Well, better them than us. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I think that's it for the news, Chig, unless you had anything else. That's it for the news for me. So let's go on over to our main topic, which is DC by Night for Vampire the Masquerade. So DC by Night is a source book for Vampire the Masquerade, which was originally published in 1995 by Harry Heckel IV, who also wrote Mage the Ascension, Digital Web 2.0, Love Beyond Death, Henge Okai, Orpheus. Um, the guy was real prolific. He has a, uh, a list of credits that just scrolls on and on and on and on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I didn't remember this until I started doing some research into uh, Harry, but they actually brought him back to work on Curse Necropolis DC for Mummy the Curse, which is a Chronicles of Darkness book, you know. So I remember thinking back, oh, yeah, they did kind of advertise that when that book was coming out because they're pretty excited. They got the guy that worked on DC by night now working on this new mummy property. And boom, here we go. Now we're finally reviewing his... Uh, his classic source book and um well you know i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna save my comments for the end we, we can do kind of like a uh a bit of a bit of a round table uh once we've gone through everything with our our general feelings on this source book so let's get on into what dc by night is all about what's the vibe in it and the vibe chig is authoritarian dictatorship that's right as the center of the uh mortal government power in the united states uh, washington dc is strictly regulated by its vampire prince named marcus fights hell and the camarilla justicars are always closely watching this city uh vital runs a tight ship you know any vampire entering the city must be presented before him uh, no kindred shall directly influence the president the national security council the joint chiefs of staff uh, basically, the entire executive branch of the United States government is off-limits to vampires, at least officially. Um, senators, however, yeah, yeah, you can, you can influence those guys for a price. I mean, yeah, but so, so can anybody. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, that, I think that's, that's, just, that's just lobbying. Right? <laughs> exactly, I think that was the commentary. Yeah, it's just, yeah. you know, lobbyists are vampires. Yeah, that's what he's going for in this book. And uh, I it's like a su it. subtle metaphor, subtle metaphor. Yeah. But that brings us to the why of the book. Why a setting book specifically for DC in, in 1995? And the answer is because, well, that's where the power lies. Uh, the book says that Washington draws in the kindred like moths to a flame because the kindred are all about power plays. And in DC, there's a lot of power to play with. So... Instead of just scheming to, you know, raise your your personal power here in Chicago or there in Los Angeles, well, in DC you can control you can do things that directly affect the lives of literally millions of people. That's power. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's kind of a broad overview of what this setting is. Let's dive into the history a little bit, because I think some of this is pretty important for establishing, you know, how we got here, how things developed in this in this setting. So this book starts out in its history section uh, and, and the early history just starts to claim that, you know, from the very beginning, Toreador Methuselah's and Ventry elders were immediately so concerned 
with Washington, D.C., and influencing the construction of this city, you know, from the beginning, you know, bringing it up from the swamp. Yeah, that's that's obviously nonsense because it was the Hermetics and uh, the Order of Re- or at the time I guess it would be the Craft Masons who were putting all that symbolism in the streets and buildings and so on. But I think this is more of a a note on the neoclassical architecture of the capital uh, that they're referring to uh, because vampires were just, especially you know, Ventru and Toreador were super big in ancient Rome, right? Uh they they were. They were. That was definitely a a big time for them. I did not read into that kind of... There's definitely a lot of references to Rome in this book. I did not read into it in that manner uh, as I was going to the history section. I just thought it was kind of weird. You know, the, uh, this, the United States, when it first came onto the scene, was, was a really weird blip, right? You know, there are other, other republics, other democracies... Uh, in the world at that time but this was a big one that popped up and and it came out of you know really a tax dispute with its with its uh colonial overlord um i'm not sure how much the uh the methuselahs of of europe would really be banking on this and paying attention to it but uh you know that's that's one of the things that uh you really see in early vampires that uh, the methuselahs have their their tendrils and everything so maybe that's what they're really going for. That sounds right. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, you get these other other statements in the book, which I think are pretty great, because there's this idea that the first prince of D.C. was just some some schlubby bruja from Georgetown, who is the only vampire that bothered to really claim praxis on, on Washington, D.C., which kind of makes sense because when it first was built, there weren't that many people living there. You know, there wasn't like a steady supply of blood. And the, um, you know, senators were mostly transient, right? They, they would show up in the summer to, you know, lobby and do that kind of stuff. And then during the winter, they'd be away. So especially in the winter, there wouldn't be that much blood for vampires to survive on, which definitely would have uh, uh, been an issue for them to sustain their population right which is why the first prince should obviously have been either a nosferatu or maybe a gangrel Mm. who'd been squatting in that swamp for a couple of decades you know wakes up from torpor one evening to find that a bunch of dudes in powdered wigs have built streets right through uh his lovely malaria infested muck who wouldn't be upset by that and want to take control well i mean isn't that isn't that marcus vitell's backstory aren't we just getting ahead of ourselves here spoilers oh okay Oops, sorry okay anyway so <laughs> there's that there's that uh Bruja schlub and he gets offed by an asamite or a banu hakim for your v5 fans and this is around the time of the american civil war so things are in crisis and a new tremere prince marissa claims praxis so she takes over and how does she keep power because she's actually a pretty young vampire she's like an an ancilla she's only like 50 She's only been undead for 50 years at this point. She shouldn't be that powerful, though. She has the uh, backing of the Tremere. Um, and, and she keeps power by, uh, well, by stoking racial tensions for the neonates and then collecting just a network of boons to keep the elders in check. I mean, it worked for Nixon, right? Scathing. But true. Scathing. We got, you know what? Absolutely correct. So, anyway, uh, Marissa. Uh, uh, she she uses racism, which was um, it was not great, Mike. 
I mean, correct. it might it might make sense, and I'm putting that in quotes for those of you who can't hear the air quotes. It might make sense historically, since you know racism is an actual thing that happens in the real world. And I guess it makes sense that just because you get embraced doesn't mean you automatically lose your prejudices. And yet, I mean, yeah, it's not really a great look here. It's really not. Right. Well, uh, I mean, yes, it is not a great look. Also, Marissa is a historical character who is not alive in the uh, the uh, modern setting of this book. So it really is not something that you have to deal with in your game. Uh, because Marcus Vitale, as we'll find out, has his own uh, way of doing things. Marissa is a Tremere, however, and there ends up being, according to the author, a lot of tension with the main chantry of Tremere in Vienna, because uh, uh, Melissa's clan elders did not want her to have that much autonomy, especially in such a place of power as uh, the U.S. was becoming and Washington, D.C. was becoming uh, in the, uh, the 19th and early 20th century. Which is a really, really dumb plot point. I mean, Tremere have mostly free will. I mean, they, they, they are bound to the council and all that, which is another argument for them wanting her to be in charge rather than not wanting her to be in charge. But why, why wouldn't the Tremere of all clans not want to have someone in charge of the capital of a huge, growing country? I think, uh, so they, they were happy having a Tremere prince. They just did not like her being so autonomous, right? They didn't really have a, a tight leash on her, uh, which was the, uh, I think, the big problem that they had. I'm not sure if you read it differently, but that's, that's the kind of vibe that I got. No, I, I, I read it the same way. It just doesn't make sense because all Tremere are bound to the pyramid. Like that's that's part of their their initiation things. They all have to drink, you know, from this big magical cup full of mm-hmm. vitae that, you know, makes them fall in line. <laughs> so they're they're semi autonomous, you know. They all have you know, they, they have power structures that they that they fall within. So I don't know what the what what their big deal was. I don't see how, how, how outside their control she could really be. We we can discuss this later when we talk about the main Tremere antagonist, antihero of the setting, uh, the uh, the Pontifax later. So anyway, Marissa would have probably held on to power longer if not for the appearance of Marcus Vitel. Uh, this elder uh clan ventru vampire mysteriously appeared in the 1950s and the two vampires found themselves strangely attracted to each other was it love romance whatever the case uh the emotions of the damned could not last and marcus vitel along with some camarilla archons killed marissa uh marcus vitel with the uh you know justicar support seized control of dc and uh you know where marissa used racism to keep the city in line Marcus used the Sabbat packs of Baltimore as his boogeyman. Uh, for those of you who, like myself, were unfamiliar with the ge- geography of the area, uh, Baltimore is about 30 miles away from D.C., which, I'm sorry for our metric listeners, is approximately 47 cubits away <laughs> from D.C. Uh, so the threat is really, really basically right there on the doorstep. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and by the 1950s, I mean, there's there's the interstate systems there. It's very easy to travel between the two cities. So uh, tensions are certainly ramping up uh, in many ways. And uh, Marcus, however, he's got some allies, right? He's got his two quote-unquote daughters. Uh, and there's an interesting dynamic to those two because one is Marcus's child, and then she embraced her her twin sister or just regular sister she embraced her sister so she's therefore marcus's grandchild but he still just says his daughters yeah were the giovanni not around at this time could they <laughs> well the uh the author definitely says that the giovanni were kicked out of the city by marissa there's no organized crime which is another interesting thing, because uh, in the original write-ups of the Giovanni, they were not related to organized crime. And it wasn't until... That didn't become official in a clan book until the revised clan book in 2000. So interesting to see that this book from 1995 also draws those illusions between the Giovanni and organized crime. It's a, it's a real short step to make from oh, their, it, their, their initial write-up to, uh, you know, mafia goons. It certainly is, and there's a, uh, uh, in the first edition Giovanni clan book, which came out in 1998, so not long before the, uh, the, the revised clan book, uh, there was the, uh, I can't remember the name of them, it begins with a P, but there's a family of Giovanni that are specifically not necromancers and are uh, uh, organized crime related, from Sicily. I right? believe that's the Penobscot family. I don't think it's Penobscot. I'm pretty sure <laughs> it is. That's um, that is uh, I'm gonna be buying Penobscot tomorrow uh, afternoon. Actually, you mean to pick up anything for you? I'm good. <laughs> okay. All right. If I see any Giovanni, I'll uh, I'll take some photos. Uh, Pizzanob. Anyway. It's Pizzanob. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. So he's got Marcus Vitel keeps control well, through his two daughters through a horde of ghoul informants. And uh, he also, this is an interesting plot point that I really liked. And we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more when we get into the, uh, the story hooks and that kind of stuff. But he likes to take an interest in young vampires. And then if they prove themselves, you know, he gives them a little bit of, um, a little bit of power. Maybe like, oh, here's a little hunting ground for you over here. And this, this little, these couple blocks over here. Right. Okay. Maybe. Oh, that was great of you. Here, I'll I'll introduce you to a contact in uh in the police department, something like that. And then, almost inevitably, not too long in the future, that block of houses burns down. That police contact gets killed. Something like that. Something always mysteriously happens. So these young vampires become um uh you know you know bonded in a way to uh marcus vitel however you know the it, things don't always seem to work out for them they're always kind of you know they're not able to establish themselves as they would hope to and they're always you know you know bound to marcus in this way yeah it's a it's a series of favors that lends to the people who are you know young up-and-comers owing the guy in charge for everything that he did for them while they were on their way up mm -hmm. yep 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 so that is kind of the system that Marcus Vitel has. But, uh, you know, while he is the star of this, uh, of this setting, there are, of course, many other NPCs here in the book. So we're going to go through 
uh, some of those NPCs and also talk about the uh, the flow charts that are in the book because this is one of those old uh, vampire source books that still has these little these little diagrams and flow charts telling you the relationships between all these different factions and vampires in the city, which uh, I've always been a big fan of. Um, it was used in early vampire books. Uh, they it kind of fell to the wayside around revised, and then they brought it back in Chronicles of Darkness actually for those three. Uh, three setting books that they had for the three core games honestly i love the uh the the flow charts the relationship oh, yeah. charts and uh i'd forgotten until i was looking through some older books that uh there was a space on the original character sheet where you could draw your own for your for your table oh yeah definitely and you know in v5 that's something that they also encourage they really want you to come up with a relationship chart for your uh for your coterie and then Anyone else that they kind of know, like any any main NPCs that are important will definitely kind of show up on there. I forgot what the name of that was a relationship map. Is that what they call it? Yes. Okay. Honestly, um, I think it would be more fun to have each individual player at your table make their own. Oh, yeah. So that way, if, you know, Billy Bruja thinks that uh, Tammy Tremere in here in love, but Tammy Tremere says, you know, I'm using... Billy the Bruja. Yeah. <laughs> it just adds more fun for for the the storyteller, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's what we see in these flow charts, right? Because they have an arrow going from one character to another, so that's what they think of the other. And then you get that arrow going in the other direction. That's where you really know who's using who. But sometimes it's okay. Sometimes they uh, they really get along. Um, but when we talk about the kindred in this book, we got to go back to, to Marcus Vitell because he he is the star vampire of this setting. And, you know, I wasn't sure about him. A lot of people have talked about Marcus Vitell over the years and going through this book. You know what? He is pretty cool. You know, he, he is a cool prince character to kind of hang the setting around. Um, so let's go through and uh, discuss some of the uh, the main plot points, and also some of the mysteries surrounding him. So, Marcus Vitell's true name is... I'm going to try this. Jim. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it's it. Jimbo Jones. Lucius Alias Sejanus. Elias. Elias? Oh, it is Elias. You're yeah, right. It's like Lucius Elias Sejanus. Okay, I did it. I did it. So he's actually a La Sombra vampire embraced in the time of Rome. Uh, he has dun, dun, a, uh, yeah, I know. He has a magic amulet that allows him to show a reflection in mirrors. It's pretty cool. So he's a La Sombra with yeah. a tenebration. Yeah. Full on, full on of tenebration. Six dots, dude. I mean, that's pretty good. He, he's, he's a fifth gen, though, so he can go a little bit higher, you know? He also has thaumaturgy yeah, well, and... Yeah, vicissitude yeah i mean what's what's the problem what's the problem with that chig i mean so i i get that he's like the head kindred in charge but where do you pick up all these neat tricks and who's letting him walk around with flipping vicissitude prince or no mm. that's a disease you guys well so you don't chig, want that spreading the book doesn't tell us that's a great point so let's workshop this a little bit all right let's get into the writer's room and uh, we know that Marcus Vitell, uh, after being embraced, you know, he came to power in, in many different areas, but then came 
the Anarch Revolt in the uh, you know 15th century, and he joined the Sabbat originally. And we know from Jack's biography in this book uh, that he did, Marcus Vitell did participate in the Vinculum. So he has drank blood of a Sabbat pack. Potentially one of those was a Zemitsi, which means he could have had some of the elder's blood get into him, which could uh, explain some of his, you know, vicissitude infection. He could have also just been taught it by a uh, fellow Zemitsi at some point, you know? I mean, it didn't have to be during the Sabbat times. He could have picked it up in, uh, you know, 300 AD, maybe. There's a lot of possibilities. I mean, I suppose so, but, I mean, it's not like he has just a dot of vicissitude or oh, how just, is it, just is it a dot of it's, thaumaturgy. It's five, isn't it, right? It's, it's up there. I think it's, it's either four or five. So we're talking like he can turn into a full-on war machine yeah, he with, can. His, with his control can. of uh, vicissitude. Which, granted, if he does it sparingly, not going to be a lot of guys left around to talk about that after the fact. Mm. But, I mean, unless he just has a full leave-no-witnesses policy behind, or everybody who might move against him is already bloodbound, I... It's just ridiculous. <laughs> it is. You know what? Yeah, that's a good point. Because when is he going to use it? You're right. He's not going to use it out in the open ever. Uh, he, there's no real mention in his biography of like doing any flesh crafting or anything like that, like to hide his identity or something. He just he just rolled out of torpor in the 1950s and was like, uh, I'm a new man. I'm a, I'm a Ventru. And... Yeah, there's no real mention of him ever using it. It's just it's just a real strange thing for him to have. <sighs> yeah, and it doesn't... Yeah, he's not going to want to use it directly. You know, if he was a, uh, if he was a lower-down vampire, if he was just like some Jamoke somewhere, and he's doing this tactic where he's working with Sabat while also being a Camarilla prince, you know... Or not being Camarilla Prince, he's still a Jamoke, but working with the Sabbat while being part of the Camarilla. Maybe he'd be like flesh crafting the faces of, you know, some of his Sabbat, Sabbat buddies to maybe match people he's seen in Elysium. You know, that could be a really great plot point right there. Um, somebody in court, you know, is able to, to mimic the looks of, of vampires that the Sabbat have never seen, never met. Um, and that would make things like really mysterious when they go about doing, uh, doing bad things in the city, let's say. But for the prince, yeah, it's tough. I mean, Chick, when you look at his when you look at his stats, I mean they're just they're just overboard, you know. Huge strength, huge dexterity. Everything's a super high stat except for his humanity, which is like two or something. Yeah, he does not have a stat below five. Sorry, an, an attribute below five. He's the classic super powerful prince from one of these early books where they knew that there was going to be a coterie that tries to murder him, so they wanted to beef up his stats. Um, and that's fine. It is a little weird to have vicissitude there. Thaumaturgy is also super weird, but... Uh, uh, there's there's a note of... that says, despite his proficiency with thaumaturgy, he has no knowledge of blood magic. Correct. So he was... He what? Never learned, he never learned... Yeah, exactly. He never learned the basics from, from a Tremere, but he also probably picked up thaumaturgy before the Tremere were a clan. So that's interesting right there. Assuming that the Tremere came up with the Path of Blood, the, that means that Marcus Vitell probably picked up his uh, thaumaturgy from, I don't know, Sedites or Asamites or whoever was doing 
doing stuff back in the day. I guess he's been around for a while. We'll just he we'll has. just leave it at that. <laughs> he ha- he has he has. And speaking of, it turns out that uh, Sejanus, uh, by the way, was a real Roman figure and a uh, council of council of Rome uh, for a hot minute. So, yep, this is another another example of White Wolf just taking a historical figure and making him a vampire. When you say he was a consul of Rome, that's like the highest political office the highest elected political office i don't know if he i don't know if this is during like the caesar times because in that case you know there might have been like an emperor that was above him uh i'm not super hot on this period of roman history right here so uh yeah i'll have to go back and listen to uh, the history of rome podcast right right he was either the most powerful person in rome or the second most powerful person in rome Either or. Yeah, regardless. He, he, he was large and in charge. <laughs> right. Let's get back, however, to the stories of Marcus Vitel, story of Marcus Vitel, wherein Vitel doesn't know his sire. The embrace was random. It was a mystery, right? However, as Marcus Vitel and the Archons killed Prince Marissa, Marcus found a locket in her ashes, a locket with an image of his mysterious sire. How did Marissa know her? The image was new? Was the sire still alive? Did that explain the strange attraction between Marcus Vitel and Marissa? I don't know. Well, they weren't related because she wasn't also a Lasabra. Um, wait, but Chig, wait, hold, hold on a second. Maybe she was really a Lasabra. That would explain why the Tremere didn't like her being in charge. If she was a Lasabra with flesh crafting and thaumaturgy, <laughs> then, it, then that's, why, that's why they didn't like her in charge. She wasn't actually. Uh, in the the social hierarchy pyramid of the Tremere, <gasps> we busted this wide open. Could be. Actually, I should go back and check and see if Marissa was the sire of anyone in the book, because that could kind of explain I things. That, didn't if she, see anything. Yeah, if she was like that. the sire of one of the Tremere. I didn't see it either. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> let's get back into this. So, what's Marcus Vitel's end game, Chig? Well. He wants to become the most powerful vampire ruler on the planet. And to that end, he plans on ghouling the vice president of the United States. Al Gore? That is correct. This is in 1995. It would have been Al Gore. Now, what Marcus Vitel would have done is create a crisis for Al Gore to seize power, possibly in a, uh, a deadlocked election in 2000. Okay. Then... Al Gore would nuke the resting place of every Methuselah and antediluvian on the planet. That's a that's a that's a really Byzantine plan he's got there, but you know he might have uh, been to Byzantium. So hey, he might have been there. <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, when I read that, first reaction was like, "Ah, oh, geez, come on." Second reaction <laughs> was. Second reaction was. Oh wait, I've read the meta plot. The only way to kill an antediluvian that we know of was to drop three spirit nukes on it and also hit it with some sunlight solar stations from from space. So True. maybe he was right. Maybe Marcus Vintel was right. Who can possibly say? Except perhaps Alan Tipper Gore. Yeah, I mean who knows? Who knows? I mean, in the story, 
1999, Marcus Vitel was killed. Spoiler alert, he was killed. Which means that Al Gore is no longer ghouled to Marcus Vitel. So he knows the secrets. Now that he's freed from the blood. So, uh... Yeah. <laughs> that, and that, and that, obviously, is why he wants to save the planet. Because now he is free of his vampire domitor. So he wants to live, you know, a long, full life on a planet that isn't destroyed by pollution. Makes perfect sense. And also not destroyed by nukes. Which brings us to Marcus Vitel's childer, uh, his daughters, who are kind of cool, too. You know, uh, we got Monica Black, who uh, wants to kill Marcus Vitel and become Prince of the City. Classic. Classic, you know. The, the child wants to, just to kill her sire and, you know, take control. I mean, it's, it's a trope we've all come to know and love. And to vampire. be fair, it's the only way you can get ahead in vampire society. Yep, they gotta eat your elders. He's not gonna, you know, get old and retire. So, gotta, gotta push him off that throne. Yep. Now, his other daughter, Cynthia Black, wants to kill Marcus Vitel too. Awesome. But that is because she was recruited by the Talmahera. Talmahera, the true black hand. That's right. And also, you know, it makes sense, given his plan to nuke Methuselahs and antediluvians, it makes sense that they would, if they, they sniffed this out, if they figured it out, uh, they would uh, not want that to happen because the... Tal Mahera, as Chig would uh, call them, uh, are really into the Antediluvians. They think that they're serving these uh, these strange old ones, if you will. And, you know, may maybe they are. Maybe. Also, uh, both of his daughters have also learned vicissitude and obtenebration and thaumaturgy, presumably at his knee. Because, you know, sure, why not? <laughs> Yeah, I did like, uh, I looked through their stat blocks as well, and they only have like one or two dots in these like unique specialty disciplines. So it is weird that they have them. I, I'm, I'm not going to blame you for pointing it out, Chig, but I do like that the author wasn't like, oh, I'm going to give them five dots and everything. You know, he was at least like, oh, they are, they're probably way less experienced. Actually, they're definitely way less experienced because they have only been embraced like uh, the publishing of this book in 1995. They were probably like undead for. 10 like, 15 years or something that yeah, they're they're newly turned yeah yeah oh wait so, nope 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 i'm wrong oh, uh 70s the older one was embraced in 1970 okay and cynthia was embraced in 1973 so you know really? her her big sister put in you know three long years of watching her baby sister age before being like nope nope can't handle this nope that that is you know chick that's a story right there you know what happened in those three years to make monica finally decide i need to embrace my sister could be interesting to explore a little bit that that is kind of like the the personal horror character story which uh can really make vampire great and uh i think if i was running dc by night i would make that into a plot point maybe not with monica and cynthia actually i probably would use them well i would use them i think that would be interesting monica embraced cynthia under orders from vitel vitel's a creepy dude why would he do that it doesn't say it just says that 
That is especially a terrible idea because then uh, Marcus, you, when you do an embrace, you get an instant level one blood bond, essentially, right? With your with your child. Why didn't he embrace this girl himself to make sure that he had the blood bond? And then you could, because they're both you know blood bonded to him, he can kind of play them off against each other. Well, it's to... it's it's the stair step thing, you know. If if I if I have a a genie that follows every command that I give it. I can just tell the genie, hey, follow all of Mike's commands as though I were giving them. So, but yeah, yeah, they, they are in fact twins. And uh, Cynthia hates that uh, Monica embraced her. It's good. I think it's good. I like those two. Actually. Yeah, they have a, they have a, between the three of them, despite their ridiculous power levels, mm. they, they have a, a really interesting dynamic. Not, not a good dynamic not like you know a, a life goals for you and your family or anything but for 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 a, a, an entertaining chronicle it's a it's a, a nice nice dynamic dynamic that you could work with yeah absolutely absolutely so that's pretty much it for marcus vitel but he's one of the main ways that uh, characters can start to get involved with dc by night because when they enter the city they are going to be either by choice or forced to meet with vitel and introduce themselves um, and if he doesn't like what you say, probably going to get killed. So that is one way to get involved. But we also have some other ways. Uh, and one of those is through Art Morgan, who is a, uh, a gangrel who thinks he's a Justicar. And he likes to go around helping out neonates. He, he has his own archons, which are just some jamooks in the city that he says, like, hey, you're my archon. We're going to go you know, take a bite out of crime. Uh, and that is his whole modus operandi. Um, Chick, what do you think about Art Morgan? You know, he's a he's another way for characters to get introduced to the setting. You know, he can just pull up in his van. Art, by the way, looks like a uh, uh, 1968 hippie. Yeah, he's a dirty hippie. He's a dirty hippie who just rolls up in his van and goes, hey, you neonates and your coterie. I'm a Justicar. Why don't you go hop in? We're going to go fight the Sabbats. And that is a way to get your characters involved in the, the story. And you know, you say he thinks he's a Justicar. He is a Justicar. He just doesn't have, you know, doesn't have, you know, a, 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 an official title. So he's a, he, he's a Justicar in all but name. He has people who follow him, people who listen to him as though he were the Justicar. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, close I can, enough for government work. I can go around saying I'm the king of the U.S. And if people start following me and saying, hey, he's the king of the U.S., I mean, I guess that makes it true for like five people. But I mean, effectively, and that's the interesting thing about Art Morgan is that he goes around, he, say, he says he's a Justicar, and the author does go out of his way to say, uh, like, the inner circle doesn't say that he isn't, right? <laughs> They're just kind of like, maybe we can use this guy, which is kind of, it's goofy, but interesting. I don't know what I would do with Art Morgan because I don't, I wouldn't throw him away. Right. I think he's kind of interesting and cool, but a little over the top, you know, with this whole like hippie vibe and that kind of stuff. I wonder if there's a way to kind of tone him down, but still keep that uh, way to easily interact with the neonates. What do you think, Chig? I mean, he's a, he's a good good fifth columnist you know if you don't want to have 
if you don't want to get your 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 brand new group directly involved in the wild DC politics that are mapped out in you know thirty seven relationship maps, then he's a he's a good side entry, you know, a nice nice slow on ramp right. exactly into the into the setting. Yeah, so that's one of the things that the author did and did not explain in the text, but you know, reading the book, you can kind of see it. Is that there's you're right. There's three on ramps into DC, in my opinion. There's Art Morgan. There is Marcus Vitel, that you know the trad route, you know, dealing with Elysium and that kind of stuff. And then there's also the uh, Bruja Biker Bar, which I can't remember the name of uh, at the moment. Those are the three ways to really get in because if you go either of those routes, you get introduced to like a small subset of characters you can then, you know, kind of interact with and then expand out into the rest of the setting. Uh, and I thought that was pretty good that the uh, author put in there to, uh, to introduce new players and not make them feel left out and also makes it easier for the storyteller. And in setting, I mean, he makes a great disposable asset for the, the inner council here, right? So if he does do something, whether officially on their orders or not, and it blows up in their faces, they can deny it and say, well, he's, he's not a just car. He doesn't work for us. Who's this guy? It's just a fucking maniac is what he is. Exactly. So yeah, I like, I like him as a character. He's a great dude. (laughs) Okay, cool, cool. Uh, And after our Morgan, we also have the Primogen Council, which I just want to bring up because it has an interesting little format. You know, the Primogen Council in a very important city like DC is only four vampires. Uh, There's one Ventru, there's one Malkavian, there's one Toreador, and there's one Tremere. Um, The Bruja clan is very downtrodden in the city, and uh, Vitell doesn't like them. So it's pretty obvious why they don't have any presence on the Primogen Council. Um, they are more involved in the Anarch movement, you know, traditional uh, uh, early vampire kind of kind of vibe. Uh, the Gangrel are very disorganized, um, as is usually the case. Uh, if there was someone that's close to being a Primogen, it's probably the aforementioned Art Morgan. Um, but he's a Justicar. He's too important. Too important for a Primogen Council. So he's not doesn't have time to it. sit down for those meetings. He's got stuff to do. That's right. And, you know, I'm not really sure why the Nasaratu don't have a primogen. Because reading through the write-ups, they seem to have quite a presence in the city and quite a bit of power. Um, and one of them in particular, Arlen, is he's certainly powerful enough that Marcus Vitel cannot ignore him. So I think, like, if he wanted to, he could really make a play to become a part of the primogen council. However... Uh, I think that Arlen might have his own suspicions about Vitel, who says he's a, a Ventru, but he's really a Lazambra. Um, and maybe that's why Arlen's kind of keeping his distance. Nah, uh, the Nosferatu aren't in there because they're still salty about their beautiful swamp getting all citified. But but for real, there there is a sidebar about how the Nosferatu have been siding with uh, werewolves in the area, uh, giving the bone local bone nar tribes uh, access to sewer tunnels and other underground tunnels because DC is just riddled with underground tunnels uh, to move around and do whatever werewolves do. Okay. So I think I think that that plays into the the we don't trust the guy in charge kind of vibes mm. that you were getting. So they're yeah. they're they're you know they're they're stacking their deck over there with some uh, some heavy hitters should the need arise. Right, 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 right. So 
Chig, uh, reading through the uh, the write-ups of all the Camarilla vampires, you, you, you might have noticed something about them. You might have noticed something about them in this, this very diverse city of Washington, D.C. Uh, they're all white people. Every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I I don't want to harp on it. It's just once you notice it and when you're reading through the book, you're like, oh, gee. Oh, no. Come on. Come on. And it's a little disappointing just because you've seen other early vampire books that did have a lot of diversity. So that was an issue. But then, Chig, the second we're done with the Camarilla vampires, what's up next? The followers of Set. And you know what, Chig? Both of them, there's two write-ups. They're both Haitians. That's really interesting. That's cool. And, you know, we kind of, like, talk about the dynamics between, you know, that country and the United States and how we've, like, you know, done some pretty terrible things there. There's been a lot of influence and, you know, um, outright rigging of elections there. But, Chig, uh, uh, both both characters are uh, are drug runners. Yeah, it's, it's not great. <laughs> also, they're snake cultists. So that's cool, right? Okay. Maybe. Look, they have... They have three character traits all right they're not they're not one note uh antagonists or villains or setites or whatever one drugs two melanin three snake cultists what more do you need to build a character on oh boy yeah yeah uh we did note that uh uh what's her name uh ravenna one of the setites uh she actually would powder her face to look whiter so she could fit in more with society it's uh i mean i understand that that probably happens um she she was like her father was french and her mother was haitian I, so i can yeah. i can understand that happening with a uh, uh some individuals from a, uh, a mixed background in you know the 19th century but i mean it's just kind of a bummer to read um so I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's not that great. However, uh, these two followers of Set are interesting because in later books, I believe the uh, Guide to the Sabbat uh, from Revised, we know that the Setites in the Sabbat have their own branch called the Serpents of Light, which are a uh, primarily Haitian branch. And this could be really interesting to play with because maybe those Setites that are operating in D.C. are actually in the pocket of Vitel. Maybe they're actually Sabbat infiltrators as well. Could be kind of neat. Uh, the uh, Serpents of Light are highly opposed to all antediluvians, including Set, however. And the write-ups of these two definitely say that they're running a, a snake cult uh, in the city. So as they're written, they're probably not Serpents of Light. But I don't know, you could play around with it. Maybe there's like an interesting... Uh, Sabbat or anti antediluvian schism uh, in the Maryland and Virginia area for the uh, for the followers of Set. To be fair, though, they're they're not the only cultists of Set in the uh, or followers of Set. I don't I don't know. They're the only followers of Set, but they're not the only Set Setite cultists. Uh, one of the right. Gangrel is uh, also a, a Set a cultist of Set. And he even has uh, his own little mortal cult going. So, oh. just to uh, just to add a little bit of uh, fun there, I do believe that one of the uh, Gangrel characters as well, she was injected with some sort of a drug by the Setites, which has made her addicted to some kind of like special special drug that only they have, uh, which was kind of interesting, kind of a bummer for her, but. Um, 
could be an interesting NPC. Yeah, I I, I think the uh, the guy who was embraced as a gangrel and then after that learned that there's a whole cult of set when he was a professor of uh, Egyptology and uh, had his own setite Egyptology cult going on before he was embraced is a has a little more story potential but you know yeah definitely i mean and that's that's cool character that's dude, that's a character i like to play right it's a fun character yep. that is a fun <laughs> one that is good and, I like hey it. On, on another uh, a good note uh, there is a uh, uh, for you know diversity in a book from 1995 uh, there is a a ninth generation uh, wheelchair using malkavian hacker who runs basically all the computer and phone networks in the dc area um, there's a, a fun story seed in the back about uh, how if you contact him, he will astrally project into your computer to learn more about you. So that is apparently a thing you can do. Yeah, yeah I was about to say, wait, you can do that? <laughs> if you're a ninth gen that. Malkavian with astral projection, apparently you can you can get into the uh, the digital web. Who knew? Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so let's kind of wrap things up here because we talked about this book quite a bit so uh location seeds and story seed highlights so this was this was a rough the location section was pretty rough chig it had it was one of those flaws that a lot of um old by night books have where you know there's only one paragraph for each location and only like three or four sentences in each one so you're gonna get three sentences of just like what's real in the mortal world like what really happens at the bureau of engraving and then maybe one sentence about there being supernatural stuff and by the way the bureau of engraving uh, is the headquarters of the local technocracy dun, dun, dun. there's a lot of that it's just like doop doop doo yeah the main postal building is uh owned by the glass walkers and you're like whoa okay i mean a lot of a lot of a lot of real estate battles here in washington dc by different supernatural types i guess and I, I like to imagine it in you know remember the the uh, the Looney Tunes cartoons where the uh, the wolf and the the sheep dog would go into the the uh, the sheep every morning and clock in at the tree. I imagine it's like that in DC where the technocracy goes to the one building and then next door the glass walkers are coming in and they're like evening Frank evening Harry. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um... There is a uh, name of a club here in the book, which I really liked. We didn't get a write-up on, actually. It's just kind of, like, mentioned a couple times, which is Club Black Magic. Because it's got a K. Magic. Yeah. If it's got the K, it's pronounced Magic. Is that real? That's what I read once. I don't know. Oh, jeez. I don't know. <laughs> Whoever wrote that down might have been lying to me. Okay. So Club Black Magic is uh, a pretty good World of Darkness club name. I mean, it's a little cheesy, but uh, I'd want to visit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another plot idea is that there's a bunch of drug-dealing Sedites out there, and they start putting their Vitae into drugs to make an army of ghoul junkies, which uh, seems like a good way to get a lot of unreliable ghouls. Yeah, that's how you get those roving packs of the free ghoul vampire hunters, led by Al Gore himself, obviously, from the Hunter's Hunted book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, it, it seems like a plan without a lot of real payoff. And I mean, yeah. Fite isn't cheap. That's that's what you run your your body on. <laughs> yeah, don't go giving that away to just anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's like a point of like a portion of a blood point in, which like 
I don't know. We're getting too deep into the weeds here. Um, yeah, the Sedites, they have some other... The Sedites are just so... It's either drugs or getting people into their cult. Those are the only two things they do, which is a little unfortunate. Um, you know, I wish they had given them a bit more depth, especially because they're they're the only independent clan that are represented here. There is nothing for the Banu Hakim or Asimites. Uh, there's nothing for the Giovanni other than they're not here. <laughs> and uh, no Ravnos, but, you know, Ravnos... Back in those days, didn't do yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, they're 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 not really missing from the book. They're just absent. Correct, correct. Yeah, and even the Sabbat, there's only other than potentially Marcus Vitel, there's only one Sabbat character who's even really talked about. And he's okay, but yeah, I really wish the Senate's got a bit more uh, in here in this book. Oh well, we can leave that to the people who uh, who write the fan supplements sell them on the storyteller's vault there's a yeah. there's a, a clear opening right there for for minor clans of dc dc by night expanded could be cool so you mentioned that at the the back after the location information there's some story seeds and there there are some decent story seeds in there there's some some fairly dumb ones like you know you're approached at the national mall oh by a kid gosh. who was yeah, dude, was what separated was from the kids? There's so many kids things. I don't know why. Why does the story? T- why did the writer really want these vampires to interact with kids? Um, I yeah, mean, the- it's a it's a real obvious thing where okay, you can help the kid, or you know, you can say no, screw you, kid. We got our own stuff to do, or you can eat the kid because you know there's there's blood points in a kid. Yeah. So it's it's just a real real basic are you good guys or are you bad guys mm-hmm. kind of kind of dichotomy but in addition to that there's there's one one thing that really stood out to me an adventure seed that i found very tone deaf even for 1995 uh there's a story seed uh about contracting aids from someone that you fed on that that's just not good, y'all. That's that's not good. Yeah, wasn't that that was like feeding adventure seed number one, right? It was like yeah, it is. It is. I don't know if it's the first one, but it's like one of the top. It's like one of the top five suggestions. Yeah, it is. Uh... And then it goes on to say like, well, now you have to make the hard decision of do you tell everybody that you feed from from now on because maybe you've transmitted it or do you just take that humanity loss and, and just give it out will and I'm like guys that's 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 not that's not for a game guys that's not for, that's not for my table right nor is it for mine i mean that's one of the many things that you kind of read in one of these books and you just read it and you're like yeah i'm not using that and you just move on um yeah i'm not sure why they went with that i mean that is like a concept that you could explore in a game uh and in fact is used in one of the vampire the requiem novels actually um one of the characters does infect the herd of uh one of the her 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 opponent essentially but I don't think that's really like a throwaway thing. It's just like, oh, yeah, just toss this in. See what happens. That has to be like a very carefully planned. And uh, you know, on a more 
modern gaming, you know, that's that's really something we want to cover with like safety mechanics and maybe tell people ahead of time, like, yeah, you don't want to just just drop that on your players. Do does everyone want to you know explore? You know, does communal diseases in the game? This could do that. You don't even have to use AIDS, right? There's other bloodborne diseases that this could be a uh, an issue with, um, and you could explore. So, yeah, that's all I really got to say about that. That's uh... now okay. God damn it, Mike. So uh, they do mention in the uh, I believe it's the hunt, not the hunters hunted, the one about the government agencies that are hunting vampires and werewolves. Um, they do mention that there is um, the CDC has oh, yeah. almost tracked down vampires because they're they're right. tracking strange occurrences of bloodborne diseases that you just don't get. Right. So maybe if you wanted to play that kind of a game where your 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 primary antagonist was the Centers for Disease Control, but I don't know, maybe maybe it's cuz we're in the year 2021 that that doesn't sound like a fun game to me. <laughs> Just to me. Not I, right now. I mean, I do like the concept of a game where vampires are being hunted by the CDC. Isn't that also like the strain? Isn't that isn't that like a CDC guy in there? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we could workshop this, but um, none of that's here in DC by Night. And that's the focus of this podcast episode. So uh, let's get back to that book and uh, kind of reviewing things. Uh, there was another... I was debating, Jake, if I was going to put this story seed in there, and I'm going to just—I'm just going to discuss it right now. There's another one, dealing with kids, where your coterie is just walking down the street, and then, oh, that's a broken window right there. Oh, that's a bloody handprint too. That's pretty weird. Do your characters go in? Do you call the cops? Well, if you go in, you're going to find. Oh, you also hear kids singing from inside. That's another key point. If you go in, you're going to find. 20 small children in an orphanage that were just turned into vampires by the Sabbat. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah, whoa. I mean... Woof. <laughs> woo, man, that's... uh. I wouldn't use that either. But that one does also kind of interest me. Just like, I mean, if I talk to my group about it, like, and they were okay with, like, harm happening to kids, even that... I'm not even really, like... I couldn't really... You know, as a storyteller, I couldn't... I would not want to have to role play as 20 a newly, traumatized, a newly 20 embraced traumatized children. Yeah. 20 27 year old uh shovel heads, no thank you. <laughs> yeah, that nah. is tough. Okay, so that means I would not use that story idea. There we go. No longer interested in it. Yeah, man, there's there's some there's some interesting ones in here. And another another story uh plot point is that uh Jig, did you know that Frederick Law Olmsted, the uh famous landscape architect was actually a kinfolk yeah that's why the biggest cairn in new york city is in central park olmstead designed central park specifically for his cousins you know chig when i first read that frederick law olmstead was a kinfolk i said that's ridiculous but i started to think about it you're right central park is a cairn and a park that he designed rock creek park in dc is a park and also a cairn, and he designed the park. In the Boston area, the only place where there could be a cairn is the Arnold Arboretum. And surely, well, it's well known that Frederick Law Olmsted designed that arboretum. Coincidence? Hmm. Coincidence or conspiracy, Chig? I don't know. 
I don't know. But you know what? I'm okay with it. When I thought about it, I was like, all right, cool. You, you know what, Frederick Law Olmsted? You can be a kinfolk. That's fine. As long as you're not a werewolf, I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's a step too far. Yeah. Although I don't know if you if you looked up Frederick Law Olmsted recently, but uh, there's some pictures of him and those mutton chops. Yeah, I can see him being like a galliard. Oh, jeez. Come on. Come on. Yeah, he's got some mutton chops. But As was the style at the time. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. All right, Chiggs, let's wrap this up. Um what's your rating of DC by night? How you feel about it? It had some highs, it had some lows, it had a lot of lows in the little adventure seeds that we we covered. Yeah, it did. So that that's gonna that's gonna knock it down a bit. Um I'm on a, on a rating out of five, I'm gonna give it a three. It's not bad. It has room for improvement. A three. Okay, that's pretty reasonable. I did like a lot of the character write-ups that, that I read. Uh, they were pretty interesting. So I was actually, uh, I was planning to, you know, read all of the, all of the flowcharts and, and grouping section first and then go back to the characters. But actually, I read some of the flowcharts and then I went back to the characters and just started reading through a bunch of them and was having a pretty good time with it, which I was surprised by. So, um definitely get some high marks right there uh there are great characters that you could just grab for your uh for any chronicle anywhere you know if you like the concept of of art morgan just grab him put that hippie in a van that thinks he's a just a car in san francisco why not you know you can I mean the, the most notable thing about vans is they travel so mm -hmm. yeah it could be good um but yeah the location section and uh, history section um, so yeah, it is, it is generally a pretty middling book. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to give it a rating, but I'm going to say that the, uh, the two good sections are the, uh, the flow charts and grouping section and the NPC characters. I think those are the, uh, the two highlights that, uh, you should look at and then definitely don't read the storyteller, uh, ideas section. <laughs> Because you can come up with better ideas. You can absolutely come up with better ideas. <laughs> yeah. He was really... Well, this is one of the source books that was written basically just by one person. There was maybe additional material from one other guy. And then Andrew Greenberg was the uh, developer. I don't want anybody to think that I am, I'm, you know, knocking on uh, the gentleman who wrote this. Uh, he is uh, Harry Heckle. Uh, he, he did a fantastic job. Uh, this is a, a tight book it's uh what is it only uh it's less than it's 120 pages uh he came up with some incredibly fun characters in here he came up with a, a lot of information about the area the setting information uh i was i was not in dc in 1995 i can't tell you how mm -hmm. accurate it was at the time uh, i visited once it was a great trip saw mike there but uh one guy can't do everything and there's mm -hmm. There's a hundred adventure seeds at the back of this book. There's a ton. And they can't all be perfect. We we gave we gave the absolute bottom of the barrel least desirable to play adventure seeds. So Yeah, but there weren't there weren't that many great ones either. So the one about the to... the one about the uh the gangrel setites uh uh uh, uh mortal cult kidnapping people to to sacrifice them to set. What I don't even know what what players would do if they saw that. Oh, we're kidnapping these people to sacrifice them. Oh, so you're setites. Well, <laughs> oh, so you're yeah. 
your 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 kindred. What? No, we're just we're just dudes. <laughs> we this is how this is how we worship our god. Go away. Yeah. Don't be discriminatory. Yeah. There are a lot of adventure seeds that were like okay that you could massage into being really good. You know, for example, there was one where a vampire approaches you in a bar and says, "Hey, I represent the Prince of St. Louis. You want to work for me and get me into the politics around here?" That doesn't make much sense. Uh, but being vampires that were sent there from St. Louis to lobby Prince Vitel and then through his approvals uh, and through Boone's lobby local senators uh, would be a good story. And that'd be a great way to get you involved in D.C. without having to jump through hoops. You know, you were sent there on a mission and the prince is accept expecting you. So uh, you should be able to uh, to get in there, although I'm sure there'll be some uh, complications as well. And that also gives your, you know, coterie a whole reason to exist. Right. But I think the main point I was I was going to bring up, you know, is just like one dude wrote this entire thing and like it felt like towards the end of the story hooks, he was kind of like getting tired of it. <laughs> so that was just my personal uh, personal vibe of the situation. And it has uh, a big wheel that he spins and it just keeps landing on kids <laughs> with a question mark. <laughs> I'm not lying. There was, there was about like five, six there's, kid things in there. There's another, too many. Another interesting theme about this book. I'm, man, I said we were going to finish like 15 minutes ago. But another interesting thing about this book was that he kept bringing up kindred romances and relationships, which I was surprised by. Right. You know, you occasionally have like, oh, maybe these two vampires, you know, they, they had a thing when they were. They were alive, but now they're driven apart by their undead state. There's definitely two uh, uh, vampires that are in a relationship of sorts. And there's actually a, a story seed for like, maybe they have a wedding and they get vampire married, which is apparently a thing in the old Toreador clan book, uh, which I'll have to check out. Um, and then also like Marcus Vitel and uh, Prince Marissa, they also had this like weird, you know, love-hate relationship that they had. Uh, which which was interesting as well, and then you also have like the uh, you know the the strife between the uh, the two sisters, you know Cynthia Black and Monica Black. So I don't know. That's just another interesting underlying theme, which you know he doesn't really come out and state, but is is certainly a trend in there, which I, I thought was interesting as well. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's all about re character relationships. So I mean, it makes sense that you're going to have some that are antagonistic and some that are. Not so much. Maybe Indeed. not maybe not romantic like you and I would think of it. Not going on dates to the movies or to the you know, I don't know what vampires do in the nineteen fifties. Uh go to the sock hop. But uh, you know, some collaborative efforts between some vampires. That was an early discussion. I think it was an argument between it was brought up here on the show long ago. Uh, it was between Sam Chupp and I think he said Stephen C. Brown, where they were arguing if vampires could love or not. And that was definitely something that got discussed and popped up in some of the early, very early Vampire the Masquerade books. And I think we kind of see some of the echoes of that here in DC by Night, which I'm going to give the Darker Days Radio seal of it's pretty good and you should read it give me a rating out of five i'm not going to give it a rating out of five i'm not going to do that 
So there you have it, listeners. Our combined rating out of out of ten. Six out of ten. Mike gave it a three. And in closing, we are Darker Days Radio. You can check us out on our link tree. Link tree slash Darker Days Radio. You can email us at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. We got a Facebook and Twitter and all that other good stuff. And uh, join us on the Discord. You know, we got some really great people there. Uh, things are pretty quiet these days, but uh, we share a lot of memes, share a lot of jokes. Maybe we'll share a link to a humble bundle about Shadowrun Sixth World. You know, it's a great place to go and just hang out with uh, other people that like horror gaming and other gaming in general. So uh, why don't you swing on by? And Chig, thanks for being here for this episode. Uh, and also, you know, clearing your schedule to record tonight, because I know we, uh, we've been bouncing back and forth on when we're going to do this. But uh, I'm glad we got it done. It was a fun episode. I'm glad we could get it taken care of. Don't forget to attach uh, our earlier conversation to the end of this one so that it's completely atemporal. And uh, listeners, we're glad that you could listen. We are glad that you stuck through to all this because God knows we were rambling a couple places. But so much rambling. There's going to be some editing on this episode, so it'll come out good. Don't worry. But thank you for listening. And uh, as always, stay safe out there. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. All right, this is Darker Days Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and today I'm joined by... Hey, this is Chig, oh Darker Days Radio, Whoa. coming to you live from my hotel room in Baltimore. Oh my gosh, we're in D.C., dude. We're not we're not in Baltimore. I think I'm in Baltimore. No, you're really not. Baltimore is 45 minutes northeast of here. You'd know better than me. Yeah, you're, 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 pretty, you're pretty far away. Um, I'm coming to you live from the northeast, where I am not from. Indeed, indeed. And, whew, man, we, we actually saw each other in real life. It's pretty exciting. It is pretty fun. And, uh, yeah, we had a great day. And we decided, you know what? Why don't we, uh, why don't we fill listeners in on uh, one or two things that happened to us today here in the Washington, D.C. area, which may be of interest to horror role-playing listeners here of this show. So, Jake, we, we went and walked around the... Uh, the Washington, uh, D.C., you know, National Mall, you yep. know, classic place, you know, Smithsonian museums everywhere, uh, all of them closed. All of them so closed due really, to really the ongoing plague. Uh, we, we definitely saw some, some national monuments. We saw the Washington Memorial. We saw the Lincoln also Memorial? Monument? Lin- uh, I think it's Lincoln, Lincoln Memorial. Memorial. And we saw the Jefferson Monument, yes. N- yes. Yes. Yes, I believe that's correct. Sounds I believe that's right. correct. That was that was pretty good. And like one really interesting thing, there was a lot of people out there, you know, asking for signatures, that kind of stuff. And uh, two people did ask us for for, for signatures. Uh, what did they what did they what were they looking for? Uh, they were looking for white guys, I think, because they wanted <laughs> us to uh, to build a wall and uh, and uh, defend our Second Amendment rights, which are just yeah. apparently under constant attack apparently. and need need signatures and uh, uh, preferably money. Yeah. To oh, they, they definitely wanted money out of us, and it was pretty funny because the uh, people that wanted uh, LGBTQ 
defenders uh, just didn't ask us for a signature just, just as we walked by. Looked right uh, past us. I'm a little sad about that. Yeah, because yeah. I would have. I would have. I probably would have 100 signed to that. Yeah, In we probably part, if we were better people, we probably would have turned around and. I want to make it clear here. It. Neither of us signed any of the, any of the oh, two correct, things correct. we were approached for. Yes. We didn't. We, we we are not for building a wall here at Darker Days Radio. We are for tearing down walls and bringing us all together to play horror role playing games. Indeed, I think that's what it's all about. And who oh boy, something happens as we were getting out of there. We were we were stopped at a traffic light. Chick, you want to fill everyone in on what happens? We were at a traffic light on the way to lunch, and I don't know if it's just. Uh, Mere coincidence or, you know, cosmic alignment. I think it was just fate, dude. Just fate. We can call it fate. Kismet. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw a gentleman who was uh, at the intersection where we were stopped at a red light. uh, And he uh, was offering, presumably for pay, so unfortunately we have to assume from this point on, uh, Mm -hmm. papers with uh, the headline, UFOs are real. This dude was, by the way, dapperly dressed. Oh, you know, yeah. He had, his mask was was Crisp, peak, peak mask. Okay. Black suit, yes. tie. Suit. Oh, my gosh. This, this, this was not, you know, your stereotypical crazy cre- uh, corner preacher guy. This guy... Wait a minute, Jake. Is he a man in black? He was indeed a man. Well, I don't want to assume a gender, but assuming gender, a man I in black. I think that's pretty clear. But, yeah, you're right. You're right. You shouldn't... Um, I can tell anybody how to identify. No, no, I mean, you're right. You're right. I, I apologize for uh, my assumptions. Um, but, yeah, he was, he was walking right by. You you turned to me and you're like, Mike, should we get one? He's like, come on, this is... When when have we seen this? Like, like I, up in Boston, I have not seen someone handing out alien UFO newspapers in, like, 15 years. Like, I have, seen, last people, time I've seen people handing out religious literature on street corners a lot but i don't think i've ever seen anybody telling me that uh men from the sky and you know shiny metal ufos are coming any minute now to let us you know bring us into universal brotherhood and or conquer us i don't know again unfortunately we did not have any cash so we were unable to uh, to get a copy well i mean so here's the you turned to me and you're like should we get this and i was like no we wouldn't need that why would we need that why would we oh crap dude we're about to record we're gonna record a podcast episode later today this would be perfect material and then we turned we looked out the rearview mirrors and he was gone yeah he was no longer in sight oh my gosh what happened he may have Stepped back onto the curb because the light was about to change, or equally plausibly, he may have been abducted. Could happen, you know. I mean, there's some flashes of light outside right now. That could be abductions everywhere. So, so Jake, uh, I think we just we should just postulate uh, what we think might have been there in that magazine. So, what was the what was the the magazine? I want to make. Oh, sorry, the newspaper. It was a newspaper. It was printed on you know regular newsprint paper. Yes, and that periodical. What there do you, you think was in there? Okay, well, the front the front headline was UFOs are real. UFOs are real. UFOs are real. But we have to assume that there was a lot of other stuff in there. I think that it was an entire newspaper about UFOs and how they were coming really? to either welcome us to Universal Brotherhood or wipe us out. Those are those are the two classic options. You, you see, so you bring that up, but I've listened to a lot of coast to coast AM. And the thing I've gotten from all these conspiracy theories is that 
they always they try to link everything together. You know, they got the red string out. Sure. They're connecting it. Paid a lot of money for that string. Yep. You're going to use it. They got the the newspaper clippings. Get it in the newspaper here. Periodicals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's mm-hmm. there. Phone numbers, dates, and everything. And they're just trying to they're just trying to bring it all together. They don't want to think that Bigfoot UFOs and psychic phenomena all exist in, in bubbles. They are connected. So that's why my theory is that this is all connected. So I'm going to postulate, good sir, that page two would have had Batboy. That's right. Batboy page two. Haven't seen him in a while since Weekly World News stopped publication. He, he's gone into retirement. But uh, yeah, it's time to bring him back. Batboy. I think it is. I think it is. And that is His where... His mentor, Mothman... Is Mothman his mentor? No. Is that real? No, I just okay. made that up. Well, we just did an episode on Mothman. Bat Boy so and gonna, Mothman. I'm not going to postulate on that. However, I am going to say maybe we should get some ideas for how to use Bat Boy in some horror role-playing games. So we all know that Bat Boy was born as a boy and a bat at the same time. Obviously. So, right there in the name. You know, will we use him, say, in uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse? Do we think that uh, you know that would be a fitting... Uh, like initial starting point to uh, introduce Bat Boy, you know, maybe a, maybe a, one of the Kamazots. He's the, he's the last Kamazots in existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you he's could a, you could a throwback. Yeah, you could crib the uh, the story of Heart of Gaia, the unpublished Werewolf the Apocalypse video game, where the last White Howler was born, um, and use that as a basis for the story of Bat Boy. I think that's a great way to start. So he'd sure. have to be a, a a hero who would be going into the Umbra. Uh, to find the heart of Gaia and stop the worm. I think that's really, really pretty important. Do you know much about the Kamazotes, uh, Werebats, and Werewolf the Apocalypse? Because uh, I sure don't. I know that they are uh, the messengers of Gaia, they, oh, which is also... Mm, uh, no, that's the Koraks. See, here's the oh, thing. Oh, Originally, the oh, Koraks were the, the daytime messengers, the eyes of Gaia in the day. Interesting. The Kamazotes were the eyes in the dark. So oh. they, they have a kind of... Almost a, a, a ratkin sort of, you know, they fight the enemies of Gaia, they spy on the enemies of Gaia, but they do it at night in kind of a more sneaky, underhanded way than the, uh, the ravens. Mm. So, obviously they had to be killed off, clearly, because night is when the, the really bad stuff happens. I mean, that was part of the War of Rage, right? When uh, all that was going down? That's, I believe that's, uh, well, that's when they killed off most of the Correct, yeah. The Pharaoh. Yeah. That, that didn't help. I think that they actually lasted until the Spanish came to South America and killed them, killed the last ones off. Interesting. That's something that I kind of remember. Listeners, let us know. Yeah, uh, if, definitely. If, if you um, know and it matters to you, please let us know because I'm, I'm possibly misremembering. I know that they lived in South America. I know that they correct. were killed off. Uh... Fairly recently. I thought it was Conquistadors who killed the last one. Right. I could be wrong. I mean, we, we, this isn't something we have written here in our show notes, so, you know, it's understandable that we might not remember everything. We'll have to do a little bit of research later. So, Chick, after page two with Bat Boy, what do you think was on page three? Uh, well, page three was obviously the uh, how to open your third eye, your inner eye, oh, uh, to access yeah. your numinous being, your psychic yeah. potential. Hmm. How to... How to uh, Become one with the uh, the divine around you, the divine feminine, perhaps. Sure, or just that's you know, a that's a thing I heard. The universal principle that might know. actually be like a real real belief. So I probably shouldn't be joking about it. Yeah, but um, interesting. So clearly, first off, 
Alien the Hidden just ties in so well with that. Right. That sort of a concept. So if that book had been produced by White Wolf... Which it was. Well, if it, was it had written, been published... It had been published. then published by White Wolf, I mean, that would have played in very well. We don't have that, though. So, you know, there's a lot that. of World of Darkness games that this could fit into. You know, Mage, Chronicles of Darkness, Mage the Awakening. Um, I think those are all good. But I think that this page three, if I may put this out there, uh, might have been an imbued trying to slip in some hints about their second site and kind of priming people just in case they had an imbuing experience. It's true. If I were a hunter, that is how I would communicate with other potential hunters on yes. page three of a periodical whose headline on the front page is about UFOs. Well, Jake, I mean, just think about it. You, you can put you in... You can't go on television you in, or you... They have the, their hunter marks. You know, you can put in some signs sure. in there. And, you know, to be able to communicate directly with those that have already been imbued. Right. You know, maybe someone that gets imbued later will remember that they read this on page three of said periodical, and they'll go back and do the same. And they'll see the hunter marks, and they'll know yes. that that one means that uh, a mean dog lives here, yeah. and that one means that these people give out good food. Yeah. Those are different marks. That right, one means uh, that there's a vampire here, and that one means that these people yeah. uh, have a uh, an arsenal. And this means go to uh, go to hunter dash net and <laughs> sign up there to join the impute. Hunternet.com. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hmm. That's a good one. Where, how else could we use this uh, this third eye concept in a magazine? Um, let's just kind of spitball here. No, not Deviant. I don't think Deviant would really. Would Deviant go for that? I think Deviant would be more of a, an advertisement, you know, to have your third eye opened. <laughs> come to this, uh, come to this uh, sub basement level in the Smithsonian Castle. Yes. And uh, you know, we'll we'll pay you thirty five dollars per session, and uh, by session five, if your third eye isn't opened, well, I'm sorry, we uh, you you we you do not have a third eye. You're blind. That's right. So oh, you so, got a third eye blind. Yeah, Put that a band. It is. It okay. is. So you're you're purporting that uh, very very low power conspiracies, really bottom bottom feeder tier, would be advertising in these just just to find somebody, just somebody that's going to believe in them. I'm not saying that they up. have to be low tier. I'm saying that they High are. High tier are going to be doing that. I mean, there's many layers to the conspiracies. They're uh, so they're, they're, they're they're finding a, a a willing audience. Let's say mm. if you're going to answer this mm. ad for thirty five bucks per session. To open your third eye, you're either really hungry for that thirty-five dollars, which is possible. You know, yeah. a lot of people out of work. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, no, thirty-five dollars, nothing to sneeze at. It's tough. Or you're really interested in getting that third eye open. You you want to go to that third eye with a crowbar. You want to pry it open. Wow. So. And they are going to be prying it open. Oh yes, hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, with, with all kinds of you know vampire <clears throat> extract and gizmos werewolves and gizmos. Uh, yeah, sure. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So that's page four. What do we think the about ads. page five? Classified ads. Personal <laughs> ads. Page five is personal ads. Hundred percent. Oh my god. DC vampire looking for uh, a cheap place to or a roommate to to pay the bills. <laughs> looking for a roommate to uh, who likes the darkness. Long walks in the moonlight. Yeah. Well, hey, that's something. Doesn't mind the heat. It's a very warm day in DC. Yeah, it's pretty humid out there. Uh, likes to doesn't mind being fed on occasionally, you know. Occasionally. Source of blood. 
Right. Um, great way to stay thin. This might actually just be an advertisement for the mosquitoes in DC. Now that I think about it, this might not be a real uh, vampire. Man, actually, I just I was sitting outside for like 15 minutes yesterday. I got bit. Yeah. A bunch of times. Yeah, they're like, out there. They're definitely. I out didn't there. even see them or hear them. They're sneaky buggers. That's that's how they get by. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Page six is uh, clearly something about the uh, giant mosquito man that lives in the swamp of DC, the DC area. Uh, I think that's just the Republican Party, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Trenchant public commentary. Uh, no extra that's charge. That's good. Whew, man. Yeah, anything else we'd uh, theorize being in here, or uh, is that about it? I think that about sums up his broadsheet. Yeah, yeah. Well,. Geez, you know, I really, I do regret that we didn't grab a copy of that thing, because it would have been a hoot to just read through it and uh, share with everyone. But, uh, you know, I think we'll be on the lookout for any similar publications in our local cities. And, hey, listeners, if you see anything, just, like, grab a copy, put some photos up on our Discord, because we would love to just read through it, laugh about it. Listeners, if you see something, say something. Boom. There we go. Yeah, and I think with that, I mean, just to close things out, went to the uh, Labyrinth Games here in D.C., just swung in, and uh, really very friendly staff. They very were, friendly. They seemed very knowledgeable. Um, of, of RPGs. I'm sure they were knowledgeable of all other things. Pokemon sure. cards, magic cards, all that. But Nuclear yeah. physics, first aid, all kinds of things, I'm they sure. They were talking to, talk to us about you know, their D&D game, their... Thirsty Sword Lesbians Thirsty game. Sword Lesbians. Yep. Uh, the Thousand Year Vampire. Sold out, sadly. Uh, oh, yeah. That was yeah. a solo game that, that they were talking about. Yeah. Hot commodity these days. Yeah. And Chig, you got a copy of? I got a copy of a supplement for the Masks RPG. Mm. And you picked up something as well? I did. I got the uh, Paranoia box, which I'm very excited to, uh, to talk about. Uh, Paranoia, actually, back in the day, they had a... Uh, in the 90s, they had a joke vampire supplement, so that could be a fun thing to just pick up someday and uh, read about. Paranoia had a an article in Dragon Magazine in their Dragons for Other Systems uh, series. Cool. All right. Back in the day. That's Dude, a, fun fact. It was one of, it was one of the few non-D&D articles that I remember dragons being in Dragon Magazine. System. So it was yeah. Dragons for Paranoia? There was a, there, there was a, a Paranoia game where, uh, article that had a dragon for, for the Paranoia the, Alpha the, Complex hmm. sit, uh, setting. So friend computer was just like, I'm going to make a dragon just to freak people out. Um, I think it turns out that it was a, a rogue branch of R&D made like a dragon Sweet. robot. That was maybe part robot and maybe part, you know, like, Chinese dragon costume with people inside it more than, you know, an actual dragon dragon. But I remember that in in the series there was uh, dragons uh, for uh, Call of Cthulhu. It was just Mm. a a very, very old snake person who got real big. I'm cool with it. Um, Isn't Yig a snake deity? Uh, Yig is, in fact, the snake deity. Mm, interesting. And he lives in Oklahoma, so if you're a listener from Oklahoma, my apologies. <laughs> Watch out! <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right, well, I think that pretty much wraps it up here for this little uh, just little episode, just kind of update things, and, you know, Chick and I are in the same place, so figured, might as well yeah. record something. Might as well toss Especially something. because there's a thunderstorm rolling through, so... Uh, yeah, wanted to uh, wanted to get this out of the way. Uh, so, in closing, Chig, where can people find us here on the internet? Well, we have a link tree. 
Linktree slash Darker Days Radio. Yeah, good stuff. It's got all links our, to All of our links are there for the Discord, for all the websites, Boom. all the, the social, social media. medias. Yeah, Head there good. and check it out. Definitely check it out. And uh, again, if you see any like, really random things out there, or maybe just like, oh man, like the... Um, there's little like message boards out in the street where people post stuff. There's always crazy stuff there. So if you see anything, take a photo, share it with us on the Discord, or send us an email, and we would definitely appreciate it. Uh, so I think that wraps everything up. And uh, to all the listeners out there, take it easy and have a good night. Stay safe out there. <laughs>